Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this LSE Middle East Centre event, this webinar on mapping Kurdistan, territory, self-determination and nationalism. Thank you all for joining us. I'm just having a look to see what kind of numbers we have coming in as people join the Zoom call. That's pretty healthy. There are quite a lot of people already attending. We have over 50, so I think we'll kick off. Zainab, you good to go? Great. Okay, um, welcome everybody. Thank you again for joining us. My name is Robert Lowe and I'm Deputy Director of the Middle East Centre at LSE. We are so pleased to have our dear colleague Zeynep Kaya here today to present on this topic and indeed to launch her long-awaited book, which came out earlier this year. Um, Zeynep will present on the book for around 15 to 20 minutes or so. Uh, we'll then have plenty of time for questions from you all um, and answers in return from Zeynep. When we reach the question session, um, please type your question into the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen and I will then address your questions towards Zeynep. Um, please note that this event is being recorded uh, and it's also, it also will be live streamed on Facebook. Um, this event, as well as being one of the regular Middle East Centre public event series, is also the first event this year of the Kurdish study series, uh, which Zeynep and I uh, co-convene at the Middle East Centre. And there will be a couple more events um, as part of the Kurdish study series throughout the year, so do look out for them. Um, we're also very pleased to have launched a publication series as part of the Kurdish study series uh, in partnership with Ivy Taurus, Bloomsbury. And there's a very healthy and interesting lineup of publications coming out um, under that publishing house. So thank you to them also. Um, if you'd like to tweet about the event, please use the hashtag or either hashtag LSE Kurdish Studies or LSE Middle East. Right, let's kick off. A very warm welcome to Zeynep. Thank you so much for joining us to launch your book today. Zeynep Kaya is a visiting fellow at the LSE Middle East Centre. Um, she has been involved in the centre for some time, indeed, I think since the centre opened in 2010, when she was working on her PhD on this very subject. So it's a great pleasure to see you here today, a decade later, to publish the fruits, uh, to launch the fruits of that research. Um, Zeynep's had a number of um, guises, a number of hats at the centre, but most notably she was a research officer for a number of years, leading um, at least three, I think, research projects um, on on numerous topics um, in the region um, and has been a valued member of the centre team for a long time. Um, she's since then also defected, she's been poached by a couple of our rivals and, and sister institutions. She's also currently a senior teaching fellow at the Department of Development Studies over at SOAS and an academic associate at Pembroke College at the University of Cambridge. Zeynep's interested in understanding how communities and political groups perceive, interact with and challenge international processes and dominant norms. Her research looks at the relationship between gender, violence and development in conflict and post-conflict contexts. Zeynep, thank you very much. Welcome and over to you. Thank you, Bob, for this warm welcome. It's great to be here and indeed launching the book um, at long last. Um, I think this was planned way before but the COVID and other things got in the way. But it's lovely to be here and uh, lovely to see so many people attending the event. Um, I will keep my talk um, quite short 
so that we have time for discussions later. So I will just try to give a broad view of what the, this book is trying to do and um, its key arguments, um, and then and then I'll be I'll look forward to hearing from you. Uh, so the, this book is basically, which is this book, uh, Kurdistan, um, Territory Self-Determination Nationalism. Uh, it tells the story of the idea of Kurdistan and its territorial imagination. And um, it tries to examine this process and through this examination, the book revisits the history of Kurdish nationalism. Um, since the early 20th century, Kurds have challenged the borders and national identities of the states they inhabit. And this is really evident in, the, in their promotion of the map of Greater Kurdistan, a unified ideal homeland uh, which encompasses large parts of Turkey, Iraq, Syria and Iran, and a small part of Armenia in a region with a very complex history of cultural and political background and conflicts um, and so on and so forth, displacements. It's a very, um, it's a borderland area that, that has witnessed a, a turbulent history and I think still is uh, experiencing that. Um, the main uh, Kurdish political actors in each of these states claim some ownership or, or control over a part of a state's territory. And, uh, and they are usually careful to restrict their claims to within the state they reside. And all these Kurdistans have been geographically, economically, and culturally uh, marginalized in each state. And they have historically been buffer zones between regional and colonial powers uh, for centuries, you know, going back to the, for instance, the rivalry between the uh, Safavids and the Ottomans. The idea of Kurdistan um, brings these, uh, the idea of Greater Kurdistan combines these areas and puts Kurdistan at the center rather than in the margins. And today, the map of Greater Kurdistan is embedded, and I can show you, um, I don't want to interrupt uh, the presentation and go to the pictures, but I can share some of these maps with you, and they are also in the book uh, after, after my talk. Um, this map that I'm talking about is embedded in the consciousness of the majority of Kurdish people, both within the region, and perhaps even more strongly in the diaspora. The territory it depicts, which is Kurdistan, has never been a recognized state uh, and does not have a unified political leadership, uh, yet the concept of Kurdistan as a political and cultural notion survives the reality and exists in the minds of Kurdish nationalists, their supporters, as well as, well as those who deny its existence. The territory uh, depicted on the map is a heterogeneous geography um, inhabited by different ethnic religious groups, um, such as Arabs, Turks, Persians, Assyrians, Armenians, Yazidis, Christians, and many others. Uh, and the map uh, within that geography um, projects a historical continuity of Kurdistan and uh, somewhat, somewhat overlooking historical conflicting claims uh, over this area. Kurdish, uh, the map of Kurdistan is, uh, the Greater Kurdistan, uh, is frequently used in Kurdish political programs, on party flags, on the walls of homes and offices, and even uh, in, in accessories like key rings, brooches, or necklaces. And what is particularly noteworthy is that um, it's not only the Kurds, Kurdish nationalists who use this map, this map, but also by outsiders, it's been used by outsiders as well, 
to show the location of the Kurdish homeland and to show the Kurdish demographic presence in the area. And there are similarities, overlaps between this demographic depiction of, of uh, where Kurdish people inhabit and the political idea of Greater Kurdistan. And this overlap is interesting and I think should be explored. Uh, as I said, it's been, its use has been widespread, but um, obviously the widespread use of this map does not mean that all Kurds aim for a unified Kurdish statehood in the Middle East, or those outsiders who use it uh, to support the idea of a unified Kurdistan. Many would claim the relationship uh, between territory and people uh, that that map uh, uh, seems to show um, merely depicts a people's natural and actual homeland. And for most Kurds, this is certainly the case and their supporters. For its supporters, the map of Greater Kurdistan uh, makes the case that Kurds are a nation without a state whose homeland is divided by four states. Yet it's worth pushing beyond the question of whether this territory exists or not. So it's about what I'm trying to do in this book is not to deny it or to accept it or um, talk about its actuality or viability uh, of a greater Kurdistan in the future. Um, it's not, the book is not trying to establish whether such a territory actually exists or not. Clearly imaginations of homelands are socially and politically constructed rather than being natural and perennial. And the same can be said for state territories. The fact that states have internationally recognized boundaries does not make their territories less constructed or more natural. The aim of this book uh, is to instead examine the imagination and presentation of Kurdish homeland through its cartographic depictions within the context of international Kurdish dynamics as well as within the international normative frameworks since the 19th century. And through this, uh, it seeks to examine the resultant political, cultural, social effects of its construction and historically trace how the Kurdistan maps are constituted by Kurdish nationalist politics, but also by international norms. So the book tries to do, uh, to put it very generally, uh, three, tries to do three things. The first thing is, that it discusses the link between people and territory and the concepts of people and territory or concepts of nation and territory in the case of Kurds and Kurdistan uh, as a constructed and historical link and explores how this link uh, is articulated and evolved over time and why. So just to open up this a little bit, um, the map of Kurdistan, as I said earlier, uh, conveys the message that the territory it shows belongs to the Kurds and its influence comes from the assumed natural link between people and territory, nation and territory. Um, and this link usually seen something as an innate link by all nationalists in the world historically, so this is not particular to the Kurdish nationalism. Um, and and you, this is how we see the world as well, you know, the um, politically, the, the, even though all territories, one way or another, uh, are politically, historically constructed, but we see the world map through our assumptions about nation, territory, and territoriality, and we see these images of the world divided into different territories, and we associate people with, the, with what we see um, uh, on, the, on the map. So political maps in that sense have the power to shape people's images of the world in a manner that 
the text uh, fails to do so. They are um, visual expressions uh, of apparently homogeneous national territories. And in reality, but in reality, um, political maps are not simply reflections of how the world territory is partitioned. They are the outcomes of political projects, imaginations, and return, they shape our perceptions of how we see the world territory. In that sense, um, the narratives a map uh, presents create the lenses through which we see, understand, and interpret ter territoriality and understand the relationship between people and territory. And this is what this uh, study, this uh, book focuses on in terms of its relationship and the power of maps uh, derives from their embeddedness in the narratives of national identity. Therefore, I think uh, when I was when I started this project initially, I thought it's important to understand how Kurdish nationalism constructs the relationship between nation and territory, and how this relationship has changed and or changed over time and evolved over time. And I wanted to explain this change uh, and transformation. Uh, through looking into how the Kurdish political actors have interacted with the existing international norms of, of a particular era. I'll talk a little bit about it later. Um, so this is, what I, this is mainly because the Kurds and outsiders, and this is the case in any nationalist, uh, nationalism, Kurds and outsiders imagine the Kurdish uh, territory, Kurdish homeland through contemporary norms related to nation and territoriality, specifically self-determination. Uh, and these uh, norms uh, are fuzzy, are changeable, uh, and they are shaped by the political contexts of each different historical period. So um, basically through this exploration, this book is trying to explore wider questions around maps, self-determination and territory by looking at the case of Kurdistan. I think the map of Greater Kurdistan is a very useful uh, tool, an instrument, uh, and a case to navigate through a complex uh, temporal and conceptual field in which ideas of self-determination and territoriality have changed and evolved, both in the case of Kurdish nationalism, also internationally. Um, so that's the first um, aspect, you know, the, of the book that, you know, it explores, opens up this relationship, this concept question of relationship between nation and territory. And, and this is how I uh, try to analyze that, uh, that link. The second uh, main um, contribution I think this book is main making is its uh, situation of the Kurds and Kurdish politics within the international context. So, um, it looks at the, um, it looks at, it situates this case um, and ter its territorial imagination within the historical evolution of norms of legitimacy in the world, particularly. Uh, it looks at dominant rules of legitimacy in different historical periods, examines how Kurds position themselves within that normative framework and politics. Um, so, Therefore, in a way, the book is telling the parallel story of the evolution of self-determination, a, a norm, is a, a key norm uh, used for uh, claims of political legitimacy. The evolution of this norm, its meaning and its implementation since the 19th century, also in parallel to it, the evolution of Kurdish territoriality and its presentation. And it explores the relationship between the two processes. Um, and then, basically, in the book, um, 
I try to historically trace the changes in the meaning of self-determination and its relationship with territoriality and explain how these changes affected um, the use and reception of the map of Kurdistan by the Kurds and outsiders. Um, and this transformation increased, um, I think, the attraction the map of Kurdistan has in international society. Um, and through this uh, tr transformation um, and framing, using this international framing to promote their territoriality, Kurds have used uh, and interpreted self-determination as principle, how it applies to their cases, and, uh, and then how, uh, and this depended on how self-determination functioned uh, as, a me as, as, a, as a principle and as a tool in that context. So in this way, the book is trying to uh, uh, link the Kurdish case directly to the international processes rather than analyzing it within its own uh, uh, regional context. Uh, and the third and final uh, main uh, contribution I think this book is making, making or trying to make is uh, to move away from state-centric examination of Kurdish politics uh, and um, try to explain how Kurdish political actors throughout the history have directly engaged, directly engaged with the international context. They have been international actors right from the beginning as non-state actors. Therefore, it is important to examine Kurdish politics not only in relation to the states they are located in, uh, but also in relation to their direct relationship, interaction with the international context, where, whether it's actors, it's politics, or it's norms. Um, so this book examines that, um, uh, that aspect. So um, I won't go into too much detail. I'm just going to quickly summarize uh, what each chapter is trying to do and then uh, just conclude with a couple of um, points. Um, so in the first chapter, um, Kurdish territoriality under Ottoman rule, uh, the book is offering an analysis of the conceptual and historical underpinnings of the idea of Kurdistan and its uh, later cartographic manifestations. So it explains the attribution of modern meanings of territory and nation to the past references of Kurdistan and how this played out and it examines the territoriality of the tribal leaders who revolted against the Ottomans in the 19th century. In the second chapter, uh, I move on to the uh, Orientalist views of national identity as they existed in the, emerged mainly, mainly defined in the Western world um, and the colonial maps of Kurdistan. Uh, so it looks at how maps of Kurdistan were produced in the 19th and early 20th centuries by Western travelers, and colonial officers uh, and these colonial understandings, how it const understandings constituted national identity uh, and how this shaped the territorial uh, perceptions of territorial identity in the region. Not, I'm not talking about in relation to her Kurds only here in general. Um, and indeed, this uh, colonial um, perceptions of what national identity is uh, and what uh, political legitimacy uh, is in relation to that notion shaped the construction of a retrospective view of view on Kurdish national identity later in the 20th century. Indeed, the maps of uh, European travelers produced were later adopted and used by Kurdish nationalists. Um, the third section moves on to the World War I period. They, it's titled Wilsonian Self-Determination, the Rise and Fall of Hopes for Kurdistan. This one is about how Kurdish nationalism adapted 
again to the international framing for legitimate state within the first half of the 20th century. Um, in, the, in this period, Kurdish political elite presented their Kurdistan maps to international authorities to receive support for their project, uh, similar to many other groups across the world in this period, and it looks into this process. And the fourth one is about uh, Kurdish nationalism and uh, Kurdish uh, interactions with the, with the rest of the world within the Cold War period and you know how uh, the ideological uh, norms from Marxism to liberalism and, and, and so on and so forth influenced the, influenced the Kurdish nationalism and how Kurdish nationalist actors uh, positioned themselves within this new uh, international context. We also see in this period Kurdish nationalism transforming from, a, from being an elite project to a grassroots movement and the emergence of uh, several movements uh, in the four countries Kurds reside. And the fifth chapter looks into, again, uh, the evolution of self-determination and the new state formation processes in the post-Cold War War. Um, the international norms of democracy and human rights, uh, how they are framed, and how these shape the goals uh, of Kurdish political actors uh, in the diaspora and on the ground. And the sixth and final chapter of the book looks at the Kurdish diaspora um, and how the Kurdistan map uh, goes global. Uh, looks at the role of Kurdish activists uh, in the diaspora in making the map of Greater Kurdistan a widely used symbol of Kurdish territoriality. Um, and that's the summary of the chapters. I uh, just wanted to end with a couple of uh, points. The recent developments in the Middle East um, once again showed us the long existing contradiction between the promotion of Kurdish territoriality as represented on the greater map of Kurdistan and the political reality and heterogeneity on the ground. Um, indeed, uh, the position of the Kurds in the Middle East have changed significantly as a result of the conflict in Syria and the emergence of Rojava uh, and as an autonomous region for Kurdish self-rule within Syria. And Kurds have indeed sought to use this conflict uh, and uh, developments in the Middle East in general as an opportunity to push for greater rights within the states in which they reside. Uh, whether demands for more democracy, whether demands for autonomy, um, and, uh, and they framed um, especially uh, certain political Kurdish groups uh, as being presented themselves as being the forefront of democracy in the Middle East. And in doing this, uh, which the, I don't have a chapter in the book about this, but I think I, I would, you know, if, if I was rewriting the book, I would do this. I would want to, I would look at how in this particular process, how uh, Kurds and Kurdish political actors increase their reference to the normative frameworks around democracy, human culture, human and cultural rights, gender inequality, uh, environmentalism, uh, but also while doing that, some of the groups um, are challenging the um, idea of a nation state, uh, especially in the case of PKK, for instance, and I think these are really important aspects to explore. Um, while I'm saying that it's a heterogeneous um, group and with different goals, with different groups, but, and this is mainly uh, this, this kind of explanation or description usually used in the case of the Kurds, but it's important to note that the lack of a unified Kurdish nationalism and existence of different perspectives, ideologies, future projects um, in the Kurdish political movement is not necessarily a weakness um, as usually perceived. Um, it's this, the perception that it's a weakness is mainly deriving from the uh, 
embeddedness of the rhetoric that uh, nation building and national representation uh, should be in a particular format uh, within the international discourses. However, um, uh, the divided nature or um, the particularisms that has defined the Kurdish psyche and political activities could also be considered as a strength. I think this aspect uh, has enabled Kurdish political actors to adapt themselves uh, to different local, regional and international circumstances. Um, they found themselves in and benefit from these circumstances. And they also, through this flexibility, been able to maintain and consolidate their particular characteristics. Um, each Kurdish group have, uh, has developed significant, increasingly sophisticated relationships uh, with other political groups in their other states, in their own states, um, or with other state institutions and governments, or and the international community. And the nature of these relationships and interactions uh, were framed and shaped by the wider developments in international politics and normative frameworks, which I'm making throughout this book as an argument take, coming from the 19th century and the same thing is happening today. That's why I think situating the case within the international context is really important in understanding this. And as a result of this uh, particularisms and different existences within the Kurdish case, a rich and dynamic flora of multiple Kurdish existences have emerged. And I think uh, it's a very exciting uh, case to study and, and understand. And I am from the region, so um, it's even more interesting for me to you know, watch what's going to happen. Um, I will end there. I hope I didn't talk longer than I was expected to talk. Thank you. Not in the least. Thank you, Zainab. Beautifully timed. And thank you for such a wonderful presentation. Very compelling. Uh, you're remarkably concise given the, uh, the, the range of complex themes you cover in the book. I read it over the weekend and I think you did a wonderful job of succinctly summarising um, and making a compelling argument in your presentation here. Um, it's fascinating to hear you speak to the subject rather than reading the, the cold text, but you brought it to life. Thank you. That was wonderful. And there's plenty food for discussion there. Um, please, if you have a question, just type it into the Q&A box. We have a, a few coming in um, and we'll get to those and put those to Zainab. And we have plenty of time to get through a good number of questions um, and have feedback from Zainab that in the Q&A. So thank you again, Zainab. I'll turn to the question box. Um, and we will go with, um, yeah, good question here and, and relevant, something you didn't have time to touch upon really enough in the presentation, but you do have a full chapter on it in the book, is on the diaspora. Mm -hmm. um, the question's about the coherence between the various regional Kurdish groups. There are actually two questions here. Um, one about the regional Kurdish groups, but the second one links to the relations between the diaspora and those who are still in the notional homeland. Um, in the book, you make the powerful or powerful arguments for how the diaspora um, have taken the idea of Kurdistan uh, perhaps further than those in the region do. Um, and that map, that big map of Kurdistan, which appears throughout your book, is perhaps more prominent, certainly in the European and North American diaspora, than it might be in the region itself. Do you want to take that first, say that, kick off with that? Sure. Um... I will, um, I'm just looking for a map to show, um, show that. Okay, um, I'll try to show that later on. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. And indeed, I wrote a chapter on this. And I think the, it has been the, 
uh, one of the most interesting chapters to write in the book. Um, so the first part of the question, the level of homogeneity between the different diaspora group, different um, regional groups, uh, regional Kurdish groups, right? It was the part, first part of the question. And, and um, so um, I wouldn't say, so homogeneity is an is a, is a interesting concept to use. I try not to use that concept too much because, you know, if homogeneity using that concept depends on um, what aspect you're looking at. So are we talking about ethnic identity? Are we talking about linguistic homogeneity? Are we talking about the, you know, um, coming together around political rule, political goals or not? So the, um, I wouldn't say in that sense, on any of those fronts, there is homogeneity within the Kurdish uh, nation. Uh, I don't think there is that kind of homogeneity in any uh, any nation because of the um, uh, because because you know the um, the narrative of nationalism expects that kind of homogeneity to be a strength, but actually on the ground in any case um, you know historically this is this is not always the case. So there isn't much homogeneity. So the Iraqi Kurdish groups uh, are divided within themselves, but also the um, way Iraqi Kurdish nationalists and Iraqi Kurdish groups, especially the KDP, defines its, uh, its nationalism and its goals is very different from, from for instance, how the PKK uh, defines its political agenda and its goals. So in that sense, politically, they are very divided and at times they have been rivals to each other, but they also cooperate with each other. So, and historically we have seen the cases, especially the section on uh, the chapter on uh, the colonial period. It's a very long historical period. It was very hard to write that, that chapter actually. Uh, and it's very complex and um, how much in that period different uh, Kurdish groups in Turkey around Syria and Iraq um, interacted with each other in a, in a much more um, uh, intense way than before. They cooperated with each other, also stayed in rivalry with each other. They, their meetings and their they, the transmission of different ideological positions from across the border, um, and this obviously increased further with the increased uh, uh, in their ability to travel, communicate, you know, radio and and TV and all and so on and so forth. So, the communication definitely has played an important role in uh, in the Kurdish national uh, Kurdish people's ability to relate to the Kurds in other parts of the region um, and and diaspora has been the key proponent of this uh, and they tried to increase the uh, dialogue communication and interaction between between these groups um, and uh, they have indeed uh, what Anderson calls long-distance nationalism so they have uh, from from outside the region from outside the homeland imagined the homeland and then took this idea back to back to the homeland uh, and you know and and also the idea of identity and language um, culture uh, the historical construction of uh, of his you know the history of the Kurds uh, and their future uh, you know the um, from the 1970s in the diaspora groups for instance there are significant uh, amounts of work that have been done by uh, political asylum seekers uh, going out going from Turkey to Germany and other states for instance in Europe 
So it's important to understand their activities as well. I don't know if this is an answer to your question. So it's a very long, it's a very open question. So I just took it the way I interpreted it. It, it is a big question. Don't worry, don't worry on that. There is a follow-up question, which maybe you'd like to tackle as you're discussing the heterogeneity of Kurds in the region. Um, Marianne asks about the um, linguistic differences, the regional dialects amongst Kurds and also religious distinctions. Um, the question she mentioned, Sunnis and Alevis, for example, and the effect this has on solidarity and unity. Do you want to touch on those two elements? So is the question whether those heterogeneities exist or not? Or The question is how big these are as obstacles, I imagine, yes, to unity amongst Kurds. Yeah, I think the last part, um, what I said, I don't think this, these are necessarily a, an obstacle. Uh, I don't see this as an obstacle. They are usually described and used as obstacles because the idea of nationalism has emerged in the 19th, 18th century in Europe uh, and as imported, exported to, to the non-Western world, it was presented as something this national unity uh, around um, shared language, shared culture, shared goals. Um, and this kind of national ideal have been um, used as a threshold uh, to consider whether a nation is ready for statehood or not ready for statehood. And this obviously, this idea of nation is also constructed and it emerged from a particular historical context of Europe uh, and, the, and the emergence of nation states um, the Industrial Revolution, etc., etc., um, and also the idea of civilization, which I touch upon um, in the chapter on colonization. How um, the more a nation is united, the more it has a shared language, uh, the more uh, it's likely to be able to develop. And that kind of development and civilization comes associated with this national image. Uh, and usually, Kurds not having that kind of um, unity is uh, has been considered as a as a drawback uh, throughout the history and even today. Uh, but I don't think this is um, necessarily um, in all, all states, even nation states today that have been nation states for such a long time are not homogeneous. They are they are heterogeneous. Uh, and it, it basically, the answer to the question depends on how we understand what nation is and what nationalism is. And there are different ways of understanding it. My understanding of nations and nationalism is not based on um, homogeneity of ethnic identity or race or language. I think nationhood, nationalism is a political uh, project. It's, it's a historical construct and uh, it changes. And there were no nations, you know, I think before the modern uh, period, modern, modern modernization in the sense the nations are today. Um, so maybe in two, um, 200 years, it will be a different kind of, we, are talk, we will be talking about different understandings of communal community cohesion or, or, or goals and ideals. So, um, and also, you know, I'm biased here as well, I think in terms of I, I, nation, nationalism, um, when defined in ethnic and uh, in linguistic or religious terms, becomes you know something that can be exclusionary silencing um, mm -hmm. and i don't think it's the most constructive way of defining it uh, so that's kind of my take on it and because of that i don't see this as an as an as a as an impediment in uh, the Kurdish political actors achieving their goals whatever they, those goals are mm -hmm. 
Great, thank you. We've got quite a few questions lining up, so maybe we can rattle through a few with perhaps slightly shorter answers. We'll try and get as many in as we can. Okay, okay. <laughs> you may not want to take this question. I don't really something you necessarily work on, but Sama Yusuf asks, what are the similarities between the Kurdish National Project and Zionism? And how is Israel supporting the project? Have you anything you'd like to comment on that? Well, it's a very, it's, it's a discussion that that relationship is, there's a lot of um, speculation, mm -hmm. realities. I don't know uh, much about the actual relationship between the two, uh, but indeed, you know, the Israel state, the state of Israel, Israel and some Kurdish groups have been in, uh, in, in, a, in a good relationship and they have collaborated with each other in the past. Um, and, uh, and this will, I guess, continue to, will continue in the future as well. And uh, is this because of the goals of Zionism and Israel is trying to divide the Middle East or not? Like all those things, I have no idea. I don't, I don't want to go into that discussion. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's a very important discussion, but I don't want to go into that discussion here. Um, but uh, from a Kurdish perspective, uh, uh, Kurds are not in the best of locations and they don't have many friends in the region. Um, and uh, so they collaborate with other other states. So I don't know what the question is implying exactly, but you know. So that's my take on it. It might be one. We might need to invite Ofra Bengio in to speak on that. Yes, the academic yeah. works on the Kurds. She would be very interesting on answering that question. Um, or Yaniv Holler, a former LSE colleague of ours who's now at Kent. Um, our colleague Michael Mason. Um, you won't be surprised to hear it's a, it's a geographer's question. Okay. To what extent are ideas of shared physical geographical terrain, e.g. mountains, important for expressions of Kurdish territorial identity? He doesn't add this, but of course, they have no friends but the mountains. Exactly, and I put that quote in, the, in my book as well. Uh, so the mountains definitely have a um, strong... Uh, is, is, they are strong symbols in the imagination of Kurdish identity, uh, in the uh, construction of their suffering, as well as their strength. Uh, it's an escape. Uh, it's, 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 there is myth mythology around that as well. Uh, and if you go to the region, and I am from the region, it's a very mountainous region, uh, and it's beautiful. Um, and obviously, that geography have captured uh, the people who are inhabiting the region, not just the Kurds, but others as well. Um, and in the way the Kurdish nationalist historiography and Kurdish uh, nationalism uh, is, is written and understood and discussed and shared and developed, you see this reference to mountains again and again um, in, the, in, the in, the, in, the, in their discourse. Yes, it's, it has an important role. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, next, Jorasimos um, oh, Surapas, our colleague who spoke a couple of weeks ago, thank you for coming back. Um, he thanks you for the talk. Could you talk a bit more about how easy it was to move beyond state-centred contexts, contexts in understanding and analysing Kurdish politics? It was difficult. Um, so the Kurdish literature, the academic literature, literature on, on the Kurds uh, have grown immensely in the last two decades, three decades, and there are a lot of very valuable uh, work that, ha that has been done uh, by colleagues all around the world. Um, uh, but it's not, you know, but this is changing, but within the, and I'm, I'm, my background is international relations. 
and my my this book was an uh, a book an an international relations analysis of IR analysis of of the Kurdish case, uh, and um, I have had difficulty in finding um, IR analysis of the Kurds. There are many, basically. It's, it's changing, but there are many. And the more, the most IR it goes is how um, uh, Kurds, Kurdish politics are playing out within the regional context and regional politics, uh, or their specific relationships with the with Western states or other states or you know, Russia or the USSR and so on and so forth, uh, rather than trying to have this so that was missing and and what i was trying to do is to understand this more long durée evolution of kurdish nationalism with a particular focus on their territoriality um, and understand it from an international perspective and i found that very uh, it wasn't easy but there are uh, um, so many of my arguments are basically my interpretations they are a bit iterative um, uh, there is a really good source of you know, archives in, in the, from Ottoman archives uh, and, the, and the British archives. Uh, but again, but this is mainly you know, diplomatic relationships and the Kurdish actors and objects play the role. And, uh, and documents submitted to the United Nations, um, documents uh, submitted to certain representations of, of Western states in, in Turkey, Iraq, uh, Iran and Syria, so on and so forth. So these documents help me understand and then through when you look you know the, the concepts that they use the words they uh, uh, use and how they promote their goals how they represent their goals within the in these international platforms uh, were main 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 source of uh, and uh, analysis and in relation to diaspora obviously internet has been great uh, like there is abundance of resources on the internet about the map and how it's promoted by which group and how in what context but with the IR theoretical perspective, it hasn't been easy uh, to find analysis and um, look at the case from that perspective. Um, but it's, it's a changing now. There are lots of new work coming up uh, studying Kurds uh, with the IR focus. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to women and gender. We have a question from Celine, who is a journalist who was in Rojava in 2015. She shot a documentary on the women's movement. Um, I guess, what do you think of, of the women's movement in Rojava would be the question there to comment on that development, that dynamic. And do you think all the conquests made in the last years could be in jeopardy of the political situation in Syria? I think the advances made by the Kurdish movement in Syria, do they risk, are they losing their gains? Are they in jeopardy? So two points there, first about women's movement in Rojava and secondly, what prospects for Rojava? Oh, that's a difficult question um, in terms of the prospects for Rojava, not only for women and women's movement there, but also in general, the um, Kurdish uh, actors in, in Rojava and the future. Um, I'm not that pessimistic. I mean, right now, it's, it's a particularly difficult context, um, especially with, the, uh, with Turkey, Turkey's policies. But um, the Syrian Kurdish movement has been always there, you know, it's, and it's been, it's, it's been very resilient. And in the last uh, seven, eight years, they have established strong ties with, uh, with regional um, other, other Kurdish groups in the region. Uh, and PKK's connection to the Rojava is already, you know, already, you know with the PYD-PKK relationship is, and ideologically especially, they are in the same, Kind of platform, uh, and um, they have regional 
uh, allies, sort of allies and relationships with, with, with Russia as well. So I'm not that pessimistic about the loss of gains that have been made. And the, obviously, there are, you know, the um, lo losses are ex being experienced, and you know, the, the human, um, uh, you know, the, um, the, the, the disastrous process of you know the conflict, the displacement, human suffering, and all those things, and then the uh, and the loss of what they have established um, throughout the administration. Uh, I'm not saying these are going to remain, uh, but the, the roots of these things and the ideas behind these processes are there and are not going to disappear. Uh, and these things have shaped uh, certain, you know, societies' perceptions and visions and goals. So I'm not that pessimistic. And the women's movement in Rojava, um, I think in terms of from their, their understanding of gender and feminism is, is quite interesting. And I think we should, you know, study this more. They are, as, as it's very, it, you know, I love it. It's kind of very similar. To, it's very PKK style, you know, it's kind of reframing it in a very different way, staying away from kind of strictly Western conceptions of these notions, but promo, pro, proposing a more unique and authentic kind of understanding of uh, of 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 gender and gender equality. I think it's very interesting. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, moving on to a completely different topic. Um, Ilham Yusuf Shabani has a question about there being a lack of awareness among the general public about Kurdish nationalism. Um, Kurdish voices not being heard across international fora. Um, UN, EU, Arab Union, is Kurdish nationalism represented at these institutions? No, is the answer there. Or within Middle Eastern, ah, we can answer this, within Middle Eastern studies, centres of academia and think tanks that advise government policymakers, is Kurdish nationalism represented at academic levels around the world? Well, um, yes, uh, <laughs> at least at the LSA, at least at the Middle East Centre, I think Bob and I have been uh, have been trying to create a platform in which new uh, scholars or you know existing scholars come together and discuss these issues and increase the awareness of uh, of these issues. It's, it's you know and the value in studying uh, Kurdish nationalism. Uh, and I think um, I wouldn't. And this is the case in Exeter in the UK. There are many institutions. There are lots of groups um, and centers focusing on these issues specifically you know established uh, on 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 Kurdish politics um, and studying issues around that not only the politics of it but also you know culture history so on and so forth um, every year new and new you know many publications are coming out uh, a couple of years ago um, the, the UK Parliament uh, the International Affairs Committee uh, launched an inquiry about the Kurdish uh, Kurdish aspirations. So I think there is definitely interest, uh, but unfortunately, this interest uh, sometimes at the policy level uh, wanes and uh, increases or decreases uh, in relation to the conflict and war happening in the Middle East and in that context, which is really sad uh, to see that you know when conflict arises or when um, uh, tensions increase in the region, suddenly Kurds. Um, uh, come to the fore as an actor uh, that needs to be analyzed, but and but in other times it's usually the international public 
policies quite a lot, but I agree with that. But I certainly think that in academia, um, things are changing significantly. Yes, very much so. There's been a huge flowering of research in this area just in the last 10, definitely 15 years. Um, when Zeynep and I first became interested back in the early 2000s, there, there was nothing like the, um, the uh, volume that there is these days. It's certainly a very healthy area of academic um, investigation. Next question. Thank you, Sherkel Kermanj. He's asking uh, about the essence of the Kurdish question, particularly for the Kurds in southern Kurdistan, so in Kurdistan region of Iraq, is the question of territorial identity. Can you comment on that? Did you discuss this in your book? Is this the key question for Kurds in Iraq? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yes, of course, I did discuss that. And um, I think in, for all the Kurds, I would say territoriality and territorial identity is very much the key. Um, it's 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 been it's very it's been the concept of territory and the notion of territoriality has been essential in the in the formation of Kurdish nationalism, its development and its evolution. And and the Iraqi case is not an exception to this for sure. Um, mainly because, as I said, it's a boundary area. You know, it's the area where boundaries constantly shifted, and Kurds were part of these processes. And especially with the first world one, one they they you know wanted to establish some Kurdish political groups wanted to establish their state and you know we know the debates about that if you want I can go into detail but I think we have lots of questions I can't um, so um, the territorial identity in Kurdistan region of Iraq um, is mainly uh, understood it's, it's it seems a bit more clear cut compared to other regions. Uh, so, you know, the, the boundaries of the imagined boundaries of Kurdistan in Turkey or in Syria might be a little bit more fuzzy than it is in the, in the Iraqi case. However, uh, then we have the issue of uh, disputed territories in Iraqi Kurdistan, which is an internal uh, debate between the Iraqi government and the Kurdish government. And there are competing claims about the ownership of those areas. And then when we look at the those areas, those areas are very much inhabited by mixed populations uh, with different ethnic backgrounds and different political affiliations. So the picture is really, really mixed on the ground in Iraq, Iraq and Iraqi Kurdistan. Uh, so, you know, again, you know, yeah, we need to look into the politics on the ground and historical processes and, uh, and don't, yeah, let's move on. But that's, that's all I'm thank going to you. say on this question. Next question, Yasin, thank you for your question. Appreciate Zainab moving away from hegemonic state-centric perspective. Um, two very interesting questions here. First one, perhaps you could take Zainab, is about um, having Kurdish language and conducting research on the issue, um, understanding Kurdish nationhood and nationalism, given that their manifestation takes place in the Kurdish language. Do you think this is essential in terms of decolonizing Kurdish studies? Mm -hmm. Do you want to take that one first? Because it's quite distinct. Yeah. Theory. yeah. Um, well, um, I am not making claims about Kurdish nationalism, what it is, how it's understood. Uh, I'm not making claims to know what 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 Kurdish Kurds want and what they what they want to do. I'm just trying to understand um, how the territorial identity and Kurdish territorial identity is manifested in international platforms and understand the um, reasons for that kind of manifestation and, and how you know they interacted with in these manifestations happened in interaction with the international normative frameworks and political actors and historical political developments of the period so i'm not making any um, 
kind of sort of claims around nationhood or ethnic identity or, uh, or linguistic identity. Um, I can understand Kurdish, uh, although I don't speak uh, Kurdish, but I was born in, um, uh, in Van, uh, and I'm familiar with the language. Uh, but my family has a different background. So we have Kurds, I have Kurdish ancestors, Turkish ancestors, Circassian ancestors, and Armenian ancestors. So, um, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know, the, I, I didn't learn um, language as I was growing up, but I can understand, uh, understand it. Um, and your point about decolonizing Kurdish studies, you're absolutely right about that. I think um, there should be, um, you know, there are lots of outsiders working with Kurds and, uh, you know, and I'm really, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see more and more Kurdish scholars are emerging and working on this from their positionality. So my positionality is definitely, I'm not, I don't, I don't consider myself, define myself as Kurdish. I don't define myself as a Turkish either, so I'm not very, I don't have a great relationship with national identity in general. Uh, but my positionality is basically as someone from the region who knows, um, who, who have, it's kind of like, a, well, almost like a participant observant uh, and has grew, grew up in this political context, um, uh, grew up with the, uh, you know, uh, the idea of Kurdish nationalism and trying to make sense of um, what it means in the international context um, as an academic uh, living in the UK. Uh, so that's my positionality and I'm sure um, you know there must be biases in my in my work um, uh, and I, I'm you know and and I have discussed this elsewhere so I'm happy to discuss this as well. Um, Thank you and um, I think it's also worth taking a second question because it it tackles quite a big topic and it is one you um, pinpointed in your presentation as something which would merit further, does merit further research and that's the PKK and its um, position on the nation state. Um, you've seen points out that democratic and federalism is deeply challenging to the, the territoriality of the nation state. Um, what would you say about territoriality and democratic and federalism? That's a really good question. Um, so I think it's, it's the, the, the note that the, um, the PKK's conception of territoriality and their understanding of how the politics should be organized um, and what it will look like on the ground administratively is, is a different conception. It's not traditional, uh, it's a challenge and it's refreshing to see in the Middle East where you know, we see this still quite you know, traditional nation state mentality, you know, overwhelmingly strong uh, or you know, it's not that strong actually, but you know, it appears to be strong um, in that context. So that's, it's, that's, it's, it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely um, important to acknowledge um, and, in, and imagine its possible uh, implications and ramifications for the region. Uh, and I don't think there is much discussion and awareness of this, uh, neither in the policy circles um, at, the, at the moment. Um, so that's, um that's what, what i was so yeah so the the, ter the ter territoriality is not necessary it's basically the idea as you you probably know better that you know you probably already know yasin um they rather than uh, organizing um and administrating an area um based on the principle of borders and territorialities it's mainly focusing on people uh, and their connections so the, in that sense it 
perceives these boundaries to become less and less important and more fuzzy. Uh, and, uh, and the idea is that, you know, there, is, there will be more uh, continuity uh, between, between the boundaries. And I think that's why probably the other states don't like this project that much, because it means that the boundaries might become um, less uh, robust uh, in that kind of imagination or in that kind of project. Thank you. Um, Mohammed Tawfiq Ali has translated a book review of your book into Arabic. Thank you very much for doing that, Mohammed. Um, you. You're interested, and you really should get the book itself because it's well worth reading. But there's a review of the book um, by David McDowell. Um, he reviewed the book for the LSE Middle East Centre blog. So do have a look and read David's review of the book. That will just make you want to buy it even more. But thank you for translating it into Arabic. That's great to see. The next question uh, from Sardar Aziz. Would you regard your work as a spatial study of the Kurdish study, the Kurdish question? Um, is the map of Kurdistan questioning the process of territoriality in the territorial states, the existing states in which the Kurds live? Mm -hmm. I can't say I'm doing a spatial study. Uh, I think my work is more historical. Uh, sociological analysis of the shifts in perceptions of territoriality and what they look like. Uh, it's kind of a more, um, yeah, I don't think it's special, but uh, I think definitely the map is questioning the process of territoriality in all those countries. I think any imagination of the alternative homeland and territory is a challenge to the existing territorialities. Um, and obviously, um, in the same way, the Kurdistan's imagination of Kurdistan, or the Kurdish imagination of Kurdistan is a challenge to other imaginations of territoriality, either by Turks, Kurds, um, um, Assyrians, um, Yazidis, uh, and so on and so forth. So there's always you know, a challenge and constant tension between, between these imaginations. Thank you. Um... Zakia Akra, thank you for your comment and question. Um, this is about KRG, KRI foreign policy with regard to Turkey and the effect it has on the Kurds in Syria, Turkey and in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Has it resurfaced the dynamics of Kurdish intra-fighting? So we assume between KDP broadly and PKK. Yeah. yeah. Um, KRD's relationship with Turkey um, has benefited KRG and Turkey. It's been a mutually beneficial relationship. Uh, but uh, I think as implied here, uh, it's pushed um, the KDP away from um, uh, possible alliances with the other Kurdish groups, especially the PUK, uh, PUK and others. Um, so, um, in relation to so, um, but the PUK and KDP um, relationship has always been uh, quite divided throughout the history of Iraq uh, and Kurdish politics in Iraq, um, and we see that you know we know that PUK has other kinds of relationship with other regional powers as well. Um, KDP's support for the Syrian Syrian Kurds, especially at the height of the conflict, then uh, was also um, you know they were trying to strike a delicate balance between not knowing Turkey, but at the same time appearing to be in solidarity with the, with the other Kurds in the region. Um, so uh, I think 
the, that relationship has put the KDP in a difficult position um, and has, uh, you know, when some, some, you know, we see in the past KDP presenting itself as the, uh, as the main uh, party that, uh, you know, that is the kind of the prom promoter of the Kurdish unity and Kurdish national identity in the Middle East. But this relationship, I think, definitely jeopardized that image in the eyes of the Kurds, based on what I heard from Iraqi Kurdish friends on the ground themselves. Thank you. Um, next question. Nice specific question. Thank you, Lydia. Um, does your book discuss the 1934 settlement law? I think that must mean with, uh, in Turkey which I think relates to language, does it? If so, what was its impact on the definition of Kurdistan for the Kurds and the Turkish state? I didn't look into the settlement law specifically um, and how it affected to, um, so it's kind of, just a second. Uh, so in this, in the, but basically I didn't look into how it has, Change the conception of Kurdistan and uh, an imagination of Kurdish uh, territorial identity in that in that sense or definition of Kurdistan. Um, but um, so it's not. I'm not. It's not discussing that particular case in the book. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Can't do everything. It's comprehensive enough. Um, Oscar, thank you. Um, Berzan asks. A number of questions. Um, it's broadly about unity amongst the Kurdish movement, geopolitical cleavages. I think you broadly covered this already. Do you perceive a unified Kurdistan? Do you want to answer that question? <laughs> um, well, it's not my place to say a united Kurdistan exists or doesn't exist, and that's what I'm not trying to. I think the question is, can you see it happening? Can, you, can I see it happening? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, so our job in social scientists don't try not to do much, many predictions. But the thing is that it's, it's all politics and historical context. I don't see why it wouldn't happen, but it may not happen either. So. Um, it depends on uh, how the regional politics evolve and how much the Kurdish political actors, uh, you know, use those changes and shifts mm -hmm. in, in their in the national, in their in their local context, regional context, and international context to to push for this agenda. Uh, but there is not, much, I don't, I can't see at the moment as it stands the international community uh, or in the states supporting any kind of project like that in the in in the region and realistically it's not viable um, especially in a geography where uh, states like Iraq, Turkey, Iran uh, and Syria are there uh, and we know their uh, political agendas as well so um, realistically I don't think that is possible in the short term. Very good thank you. Um... Thank you, Ilham and Lynn, also for your questions, which really are essentially the same point, but Zainab's not a soothsayer and isn't going forward on. So anyway, we'll skip on it. We haven't got time to take everyone's, but I'll just hurry through a few more. Thank you. Um, how other countries in the region view Kurdish nationalism and self-determination? Question from Gillian. Um, 
I guess we, we haven't talked about Iran at all, have we? Other countries in the region? Other countries in the region. I don't know how broadly. Other countries with no Kurdish populations yeah. or other countries with Kurdish populations? Good question. Well, let's assume it's countries without Kurdish populations. That would be an interesting question. How do they view Kurdish nationalism? Well, um, it's a big question. I don't know. I can't talk on behalf of those countries and say what they would say, what they would think. But my interactions with colleagues and, uh, and, and friends, let's say, and I've done research projects and have visited the region in, uh, and been in international conferences and conversations with colleagues in, um, in let's say, in, the, in, in Jordan, in, uh, in Kuwait, outside the Kurdish populated countries, um, there is not much interest, to be honest. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, it seems like, you know, it's, there are, they are not really interested in what's happening in, within those states. And it seems like Kurds are seen mainly a, a marginalized minority. Uh, and I think their political influence or their role as, a, as political actors are not that much on their radar or they are not aware of it as much as I think they should. In Lebanon, it's a different case though. I think there is more awareness of the case and of the issue, mainly because of PKK presence in in, uh, in Syria and uh, their um, you know the Bekaa Valley uh, and the Kurdish uh, case, Kurdish nationalist groups uh, solidarities with the uh, with the uh, Palestinian case and the migrants in, in 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 Lebanon. So there is more awareness and knowledge of the case I think in Lebanon compared to other regions. They have a Kurdish population. Yeah. Yeah. Don't we often hear much about them, small will they are. And Gillian, second question is also interesting. It's a subject I don't think we've touched upon, which is minorities within Kurdish regions. This is an interesting question. Mm -hmm. She comments that the KRI has been quite welcoming to minorities. Do you think this stems from their own experience of displacement persecution? Has that shaped their thinking? It's also an interesting question for Kurdish movement in Syria, um, where the experiment in uh, Rojava, of course, does include large numbers of minorities within the uh, the PYD enterprise there. So perhaps I comment on minorities in Kurdish regions of Iraq and Syria. Mm -hmm. uh, Kurdish uh, political actors, who are the decision makers, say, or and and Kurdish nationalists, some of the Kurdish nationalists in Iraq would also say that the support for minorities by Kurdish leaders in or Kurdish administrations in Iraq and Syria is because they know what other minorities have gone through, especially in the context of, for instance, the uh, ISIS's war and its treatment of minorities um, and what Kurds experienced in the hands of Saddam uh, back in the 1980s. Uh, so there is more kind of awareness of, or, you know, they would say that the, the, the reason for the support is because goes back to that. And as a, as a minority group that has been treated badly, they associate um, with, and if, you know, they, 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 they associate with other groups. And also the Kurdish groups, especially the uh, Iraqi Kurdistan uh, government have explicitly promoted their minority friendly policies uh, in national and international agendas uh, and platforms. Um, and this is partly because uh, they want to show themselves, they seek sort of to show themselves as a, as a, as a viable uh, regional government um, that is you know, that's connect, that's connected to the international community. Uh, and they, they want to increase their leverage in, in that context by 
promoting these norms and adhering to, the, to these norms and maintain the international support that they are receiving. So some would say this is instrumental, some would say this is genuine, I don't know, but that's definitely happening. Um, and then the same with Iris to Iraq, but when you talk to the minorities themselves, um, and I have, I, in my previous projects, I have been in Iraq and talked, for instance, the Yazidi groups and, and other groups. Um, uh, so the, 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 big, the picture is mixed. So there is a, there's a long political um, tension between, for instance, Yazidis and, and the Kurds, but also collaboration. Uh, and uh, the Yazidis, for instance, are increasingly trying to ex you know, assert their own distinct identity uh, and their non-Kurdish identity. Um, and then uh, they don't want to um, criticize the Kurdish, Kurdish region explicitly, openly, because they depend on, on the support coming from them, especially for the Yazidi displaced communities. So it's not, it, they, from outside the picture looks great. And I think the fact that these minority rights and, and in respect for um, inclusivity, respect for the diversity is, is important. At least it happens in the discourse. And I think this is reflected on some policies as well. But the picture is not, not as rosy as, uh, as it appears, I think, on the ground. And the reality is a bit different. Very good. Um, we are getting nicely through our time. We have five or six more questions left, so perhaps we'll potter through those and that will see us nicely to the close. Um, Marianne asks, um, she's a researcher working amongst Kurds in Sweden. Oh, it's the religious question that different religions amongst the Kurds have an impact on solidarity and unity. Um, maybe touched on that earlier. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think there is, you know, I think they, um, Alevis and Sunnis tend to establish separate associations and groups and gatherings. Uh, they seem to be part of different uh, political uh, advocacy, advocacy groups. Um, I think there is definitely a case, case of that. But again, this goes back to, I'm not an expert on uh, the Sunni Alevi division, but, you know, in the, in the, in Turkey, for instance, um, these originally Sunni or, or, or Kurds coming from Sunni background and Alevi background, collaborating with each other usually happens in the context of more like kind of leftist um, uh, groups uh, within the Kurdish movement. Mm -hmm. um, but more nationalist ones uh, tend to kind of shy away from collaborating explicitly with them. So it's a long division, I think, that goes back to politics um, in within the state of origin uh, and then how it plays out in the diaspora. Thank you. Um, another question is how and to what extent are Kurdish nationalist movements challenged by the idea of, I think that's no nation state that is presented by some Kurdish groups. I think this must relate back to PKK ideology of democratic confederalism, democratic autonomy. I guess the point is are the traditional Kurdish nationalist parties, how are they challenged by the PKK ideology? Um, I mean, the most traditional Kurdish political uh, ideology would be KRG's ideology, especially KDP. They do adhere to this idea of a linear transformation linear transition 
from being an autonomous region to a nation state um, and, um, and, and become, become kind of part of the international system as a recognized nation state. So I would say um, their goals or their apparent goals are being challenged with the, uh, with the PKK's ideology of uh, more kind of fuzzy boundaries, continuities between communities, um, and the geography that PKK is talking about is not necessarily Turkey. Uh, it's also the implications of it. The implications are regional. So I'm sure this is being seen not as necessarily conducive to KRG's or KDP's own uh, future goals. Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> maybe worth adding that that PKK ideology is not exclusively for Kurds. The, the idea is in time it will be um, taken up by all peoples. Um, it goes broader than just areas where Kurds live, certainly in the theory. Um, Mira, there isn't a unified Kurdish goal between the groups. Ah, international community, great. This is a big part of your book. Let's bring the international community in. To what extent can they support the aim for a central homeland? Perhaps you can elaborate on that to the the current dynamics, the context of international involvement or lack of involvement um, with Kurdish nationalist groups in the region, how you see that playing currently. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what I think I would want to ask, what do they, what, what is meant to be here with homeland? Um, mm -hmm. So should, in, is the question, about should internet how and should international community support the formation of a of a homeland for the Kurds? I, I would assume so. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think that would be um, easy for other states, international community to support it. Again, this is an, another question, it's a very IR question. What do you mean with the international community? Are you talking about the states mm -hmm. or are you talking about um, the non-state actors, civil society organizations, rights groups, so on and so forth? Um, so I don't think that there is politics on the ground. So states would shy away from supporting uh, the formation of the Kurdish homeland. Uh, emergence of that because of their relationship with the regional states uh, and also their concerns around you know even though they don't seem to concern about creating conflict in the area but they would say well we can't jeopardize the stability in the region and therefore uh, and formation of this new kind of Kurdish entity means um, changes boundary changes in boundaries in, in four different states this is just too messy and too complex and might have negative future ramifications therefore they wouldn't support it uh, with the international community I think with the non-state international community I think the focus is rather than supporting the formation of a homeland or a state or but the, rather than that I think the focus is more about um, Kurdish political rights, um, cultural rights, democratic rights, uh, and, um, and and issues around you know seeking you know safety and uh, issues around uh, like for instance in the case of right now many of the uh, PA, the HDP political actors in Turkey are in in prison. Uh, and they can't, you know, HDP is, on, you know, is facing uh, closure. Uh, so I think, that, you know, international community maybe should focus on putting pressure 
on these things um, to bring this to the agenda and put pressure on the Turkish government to change its uh, you know attitude um, because Turkish, Turkish state is right now using suppressing HDP as a tool for its own political goals within within Turkey to divide Kurdish to divide other opposition parties uh, and, and these are all calculations that they are uh, uh, considering so I think these are the things that we should focus on and that has impact on the day-to-day -day lives of people on the ground and I go to Iraqi, Kur Iraqi Kurdistan regularly I visit Eastern Turkey um, regularly uh, and and the people's immediate reads on the ground uh, I wouldn't claim to make you know claim to say this is what they need but there is a def democratic deficit in the in the region in general not only for Kurds but for everyone uh, and I think the international community should highlight these things more than it is doing at the moment both states and non-state actors in the international community Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, there's an interesting question from Baron about the Kurdish diaspora, especially in the UK. Mostly they are from Maras, Anta, Malatya, yet Kurdish nationalism in those regions is almost non-existent. Why is there this discrepancy? That's a really interesting question. I've never thought about that. Um, I wonder if someone's done work on the diaspora community, say in the UK, for example, and place of origin within Turkey and how it affects their political activism in the UK. It looks like one for a future research project. That looks very interesting. I mean, the, I don't, so the thing is that, so the question seems to imply, is most of the Kurdish diaspora really from Maraj, Antep and Malatya? And I, I, when they are talking about diaspora, are they talking about politically active diaspora or are they talking about Kurdish migrants? from Maraj, Antep and Malatya. Mm -hmm. um, so I would need more specifics on, on that to be able to answer the question. So, uh, but there is a Kurdish population in those areas as well, but I, I don't know. Mm. It's where the limitations of Zoom events um, do occur. It would be lovely to be in person. We could back and forth on this. Thank you, Anne Baran, for that. Um, Gillian again. Uh, Gillian, um, perhaps make that point to Celine on the chat function, see if you can find out about her documentary. Thank you, she may see it there. I think Celine's still on the event, I just had a look. Oscar, women's struggles. Um, you have talked about women already, but is it often the political struggle that subordinates women's struggle to the end? Is there a risk that the struggle of Kurdish women becomes secondary to the political struggle? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. anything on? There is, um, I think that's a, there is definitely a risk, but at the same, it's a, it's a, it's a relationship that can go either way. And I think both uh, scenarios are existent in, in, the, in the, the Kurdish political movement. So the, being part of a political movement uh, also gives Kurdish women's movement opportunities to establish themselves, to reach to the wider platforms, uh, and be part of the decision-making processes and so on and so forth. So that's a positive thing. But then as it happens with any political entity, their uh, specific goals uh, might be usurped by the political agenda or they may not have as much freedom to be able to change or transform their agenda in the way they seem fit for a women's movement. 
so that risk is always there, exactly. And it would be very interesting to find out how uh, the Kurdish movement, uh, women in the Kurdish movement, women's movement are navigating these, uh, these processes. But I haven't studied that and I won't be able to answer uh, more than, say more than that, I think. Right, let's take, we've got two final questions. Let, let's take these two and then we'll wrap up. They're quite neat actually, because the first takes us back to the aftermath of the First World War. And the second is about the recent referendum in uh, Kurdistan, Iraq. Um, so Aran asks, does your book discuss, discuss the treaties of Sevres and Lausanne and how it has affected the current division of the region in Kurdistan specifically? Any yes. observations? Yes. Yes. The book extensively discusses those process. I have a chapter dedicated to World War One period um, and, uh, and the implications of, of these um, international treaties on, on the Kurdish case and definitely um, the, these two um, serve and there, there are differences between Serve and Lausanne in, in, the, in, in terms of how much space they give for the possibility of a Kurdish um, uh, political um, entity. Uh, obviously, Serbs is more permissive. Not, not very as permissive as, as, as Kurdish nationalist discourse claims, actually. It's less permissive than that. There are lots of um, conditions attached to that possibility. When you look at the Serbs articles, especially Article six, uh, 65. Um, but then um, with Lausanne, uh, even that possibility has, is, is gone. Uh, that doesn't exist. Um, and also, uh, uh, with, with, but the thing is that service covers the geography of Iraq, um, Syria, etc. as well. But with, when, with, with Lausanne, um, there is not much, um, so it's almost like Turkey has, doesn't have claim to have, a, at least on paper, doesn't have claim to have a say on what happens beyond the Turkish boundaries um, in, in Iraqi Kurdistan, for instance, in that area. Um, so, in a way, Serbs raised the possibility and, and the hope, but then Lausanne basically ended that possibility uh, for, for, Kurdish, um, for Kurdish independence. Um, just quickly, Paul has sneaked in a question about, which is worth taking while you're talking about the aftermath of the First World War, but this will be the penultimate point, penultimate question. Do you see similarities between the treatment of the Armenian communities and the Kurdish? as the Ottoman Empire collapsed at the end of the First World War. Um, presumably at that time, or, or is that then and now, I'm not quite sure. Do you want to make any comparison or, or, men, or yeah. what about the Armenian? Well, the, the treatment of the Ottoman Empire, um, of Armenians and the Kurds, are quite different actually. Mm. Um, so um, it treated Armenians as as the Teba and uh, the Kurdish tribal leaders were Ottoman um, officials uh, in some ways. And there is obviously um, in the 19th century, especially we see the Kurdish revolts in the region happening. There aren't many like Armenian revolts in that in that sense in in, in that are politically organized and widespread as the Kurdish revolts. Um, and then in terms of the um, uh, exodus of the Armenians from Ottoman territories, um, 
the genocide context and it, I don't think Kurds were exposed to that kind of treatment in the hands of the Ottomans as far as I know um, and even uh, the Kurdish groups uh, were part of uh, part of the uh, conflict between the Armenians uh, and and the Ottomans and, and played a role in, in the in the treatment in such treatment of the Armenians so I think they are different um, I would say they are not they are different let's fast forward then to the current last decade how do you see the position of Iraqi Kurds after the unsuccessful independence referendum and how has the foreign policy of Iran-Iraq-Turkey been affected by the existence of the Kurdish entity in northern Iraq? Yeah, the referendum's a nice place to conclude this, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, now the Kurdish politics is mainly trying to negotiate with Baghdad on a constant basis with a lower, you know, with a weaker hand um, in terms of the distribution of the budget, um, and uh, and all those other political processes. So it has, uh, uh, and and I think the Kurdish political uh, elite is trying to come to terms with this new political atmosphere in Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, uh, and um, yeah, so that's that's that hasn't been a positive process in terms of the. Uh, Kurdish national sentiment, national sentiment in Iraqi Kurdistan, obviously it has been a, a disappointment uh, for the Kurds. Um, the process led to the loss of territory and, uh, and some, some, some sort of, you know, big degree of legitimacy, created a, a crisis at the political level um, and uh, economic implications have been dreadful, employment and all that. So uh, Iraqi Kurdistan, I think, is going through um, a difficult process. It's not as, you know, it's not like urgent uh, crisis like it was before. It's not acute crisis, but it's this uh, chronic crisis situation, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Last question from me, what will be your next book? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I have a book project. Um, I'm, I'm very interested. This is kind of this is why I wrote this book as well. I'm very interested in the Ottoman borderlands, uh, and I'm from the region. My family has been from there, you know, and I grew up with stories of uh, of what happened in the past, um, and and they are still there and they are quite vivid. And and I go to the region very often. My family lives there, so every time I go there and I talk to, you know, I have. Know, just the project kind of starts to shape up and then I come back to London I was like no 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 I can't it's too difficult I can't do it or I have other things to do but if I in this in this dream world if I had time uh, I would write um, uh, a book about about that region but from the perspective of the people um, or like kind of more like a sociological kind of work um, uh, that reflects the in the, the experiences and, and the narratives of, uh, of, of people living there in terms of how they experience the conflicts and how they mem memorize or how they remember, remember the past and its implications on their uh, life today. Uh, and again, with a kind of, I like the historical long term kind of uh, perspective. So I would want to straight this 
um, narrative uh, within the wider political international context of, of, a part of the era that I'm, I'm looking at. So it's kind of this massive, but very vague, very fuzzy kind of idea. But I want to move away from the grand international explanations. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm moving more and more into more kind of grounded, uh, and which I did in Iraq, my, you know, gender work is very much grounded. I, you know, it's, it's, it, I moved away from the grand narratives of international relations. Um, and I'd like to do more of that um, in that area, but we'll see. I don't know. Well, we look forward to it very much or whatever you may do next. Um, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We still have a good number of people on, on the event. Thank you so much for staying with us and all your questions. And indeed for the comments in the chat, many of which are extremely interesting also. There's a very healthy discussion going on as there often is when Kurdish politics is being discussed. Um, and thank you, Celine, also, who has, I uh, can plug her documentary. She's put the link up on the chat. It's been screened at the New York Kurdish Film Festival. That looks very interesting. Congrats on that. Thank you, everyone. Zainet Mosul, thank you so much to you. Many congratulations again um, on the publication of this wonderful book.